Hello, hello. We are back. It's Tony here from TonyQualis.com, your career leadership bestie. It is officially a fantastic fall. I've decided this. The weather is glorious. Okay, it keeps it's windy and it's rainy and it's cold. But you know what? The boots are out, the hats are on, the snugglies are on the sofa. I just love this time of year. It's so gorgeous. And it's legit to get in your pajamas at three o'clock in the afternoon if you live in Scotland like me. And it's now officially dark really early. <laughs> so uh, I just I just needed to share that with you today. But without further ado, I want to introduce you to today's guest because you know what? This lady, I always have ladies on the show. This lady teaches the art of reframing. And so I think what I just share with you is a reframe. I think a couple of years ago, I'd have been like, oh, it's cold, it's wet, it's windy. I just said exactly the same things, but I was like, it's cold, it's wet, it's windy. <laughs> like, That's just a tone of voice reframe. But this lady, Leah Garman, that we've got on the show today is the queen of reframing. I hope she doesn't mind me calling her that. And where we are going to talk about how to use the art of reframing your thoughts, your insights, your ideas to feel more optimistic kind of fits in nicely with last week's episode on the art of positive psychology as a leader in fact. So let me just introduce you to today's guest. We are speaking today to Leah Garman. Leah is the author of Unstuck, Reframe Your Thinking to Free Yourself from the Patterns and People That Hold You Back. She has nearly 10 years of experience working in some of the largest and most influential companies in tech including Microsoft, Apple and Google to explore the power of reframing to overcome common challenges found in the modern workplace. She is a TEDx and SXSW speaker and has been featured on WGN Chicago and WJLA Washington DC News as the person who knows nothing about the news in the US. I'm assuming those are both news channels. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> and she was also recognized by the US National Diversity Council as a 2021 DEI champion, which I just adore. Speaks to my heart. As an operations leader, before she started becoming a coach full-time, Leah was on a mission to humanize the workplace, and that is what she is bringing into her full-time work as a coach. She writes, she's a leadership coach, she is a keynote speaker, and a savvy program manager as well to boot. And she brings an authentic humor to teams to help them examine the challenges holding them back and focus on what really matters. Without further ado, let's get Leah Garman onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome to the show, Leah. It's so great to have you on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Oh, I am really excited to dive into this conversation. You're one of those people where I met you and I'm like, this is my kind of person. <laughs> so let's give the audience a taste of that. And can you share with us your career journey, the highlights, the lowlights, because I think they're quite often the most insightful pieces, and why you are now passionate about helping individuals and teams break through to that next level? Yeah. So I've spent most of my career in um, say program management and team operations. And 
Now, early on, I know you talk a lot in, in the podcast about team culture and psychological safety. Um, but early on, quite a few years ago, when I was getting started in this, um, you know, talking about people dynamics, it wasn't really part of the conversation. And early in my career as uh, doing program management, which is essentially, you know, helping people get things done effectively, I noticed there was a lot more to the story than just the deliverables and timelines. That when people got along and felt connected to each other and felt included, everything got done more smoothly. And and I brought this hypothesis into all of the jobs that I've had um, throughout the course of my career in tech. And early on, I'll say, you know, I, I got a lot of feedback of, hey, focus on the work stuff first and the people stuff later. And I would say that sort of, you know, realization that not everybody gets this and and not everybody gets me has been something that I've really had to work through throughout the course of my career. And I think over the years, really helping bring to life um, the the impact that it has when people feel connected and supported and how that does make deliverables go smoothly and products be higher quality and, and be able to serve our, our users better. Um, and, and so that's really been the journey of my careers is, is helping bring that sort of truth into team dynamics and into how we work and, and, and infusing that so that when I'm not in the room, it doesn't just go back to the work stuff, but the people stuff is always at the center. Um, and so, yeah, I worked across a number of large um, tech companies, um, across some really interesting cutting edge products from HoloLens to Daydream to Shorts. But I found my real sweet spot is is working a little bit outside of the product, but on on the the human interactions. Um, not not HR. I still like working in the <laughs> in the weeds, rolling up my sleeves with um, on, on the technical side, but in in helping people get things done in a way that that really resonates for them. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you now do? Like, why is it that you are doing what you now do, and how have you brought all that experience of improving team dynamics it's actually even positive psychology is actually funny because last week's episode was on positive psychology if you haven't listened to that listeners go listen to episode 125 right now but have you brought all that together into what you currently do so I actually took a big leap um, over the summer and and actually left uh, working at Google and working uh, full time in in uh, in the weeds in the corporate world to to launch my consulting business where um, I can I feel like I can have more of a broader impact impact more companies more folks more kinds of teams different kinds of industries and essentially my my goal is to really take all of the learning I've had from research and 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 and, and working with folks across different team and my own sort of firsthand experience of, you know, what are the differentiating forces when, when things get done versus when they don't? And, and really packaging that up together to help support teams through this sort of series of transitions that we're in and, and going to continue to be in as the workplace continues to evolve. And um, and I love working with with teams in tech because that's that's where I've spent the majority of my career. Because as you talk about so much in your podcast, um, when you know in tech we have the opportunity to impact you know everything that's going on in our future, right? And we want people to be building products that resonate with people that actually serve our audience, that are inclusive, that that can sustain the test of time. And I think part of that is making sure we have. Uh, you know, people feeling supported and engaged and, and we have, 
you know, different backgrounds represented in the workforce, that we have different backgrounds at all levels of leadership in tech. I mean, this is something I know, again, that you talk a lot about is, you know, if we don't have women across leadership positions, if people feel disconnected from the work and, and they don't stay, um, that really shapes the future of what we're building. So this is also yeah. very important to me and and why um, my goal is really to work with teams and leaders and managers on on helping make sure we can you know keep and grow and develop um, our workforce, really retain women in the workforce, ensure we have women in all levels of leadership around tech. You speak my language. <laughs> um, so as a woman in tech yourself, obviously moving away from like being the the tech woman yeah. and now into supporting more tech women, what have you experienced as unique barriers as a woman and as a leader? And what do you wish you'd heard at the beginning of your career that might have changed your outlook since then? Yeah, I think, you know, st- when I was starting off my career in tech, um, a couple of things I wish I had heard earlier is one, unfortunately, the, the reality that you have to prove yourself over and over and over. And I think it's really now out there, you know, understood that, you know, you you often have to work twice as hard to get to get where you are. And I know that's even more so with intersectional dimensions like race, right, are added to the mix. And mm-hmm. and I think um feeling like, hey, I finally made it. I finally broke through. And then I get to another role. I'm like, wait a second, (laughs) like I have to start Mm -hmm. over. And I think um, feeling a little bit knocked down by that, having to do it again and again and again, um, until I really refined my story of the value that I added. And I think as a woman in tech, but a non-engineer, this was really, really hard for me because I kept thinking to myself, should I go back to school and get a computer science degree? Am I, am I, you know, should I go to business school and become a product manager? You know, how do I really make, make an impact and, and tell my story and, 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 you know, knowing that I'm going to have to kind of keep saying it and keep refining it and keep making it clear. And I, I kind of, looking back, I wish I had known, you know, to really think about what that story is from a what am I adding as opposed to feeling like a not enough situation. And and I think for folks just starting out, um, it's about, you know, figuring out what is that balance across. It's it's fantastic to always be developing ourselves and reaching for things, but but also knowing, you know, why am I here? So that when I feel like I have to prove myself over again, I have that readily at my disposal. Another thing that I think I did a reasonably good job at this, but um, I think no one had told me early on is to not only build a network, but to leverage your network and to maintain relationships. I think especially for women and trying to and, and having to prove ourselves over and over and over, we can put our heads down and just say like, I just got to get the work done. I don't have time for some of these, you know, development things or community building or, or kind of networking social things. And then we don't build a lot of relationships and it can be really isolating. Um, and then we don't have people that we can lean on for help. So I think the other thing to, to you know, I, I think is really important that I wish I had um, heard firsthand also so I could amplify that for others is really the importance of of building a strong network that you keep in touch with over the years that you don't kind of just let mm. fizzle out, um, especially as you grow and, and, and move forward in your career. Two very, like, seriously, incredibly important things that I wish also that I had heard and, like, just been indoctrinated in earlier. One of the things I talk about a lot is how we don't just hit a glass ceiling. We hit 
a network of glass ceilings, like one after the other, sideways from each other, like with just just barriers over and over and over again. And then ultimately we also hit a glass cliff. Mm-hmm. And I think you nailed it there by saying you, you had to get your pitch down. You had to figure out how to talk about your accomplishments. And I think the earlier in our careers we do that, the more we can reduce that multiplier that we need. You mentioned, you know, we have to work twice as hard as men, more so if there's an um, element of intersectionality in our underrepresentation. Breaks my heart every time I hear that, even though it's not new. It's what I talk about all the time. And yet hearing it, it just sort of shrink inside. But I do truly believe that we can reduce that multiplier by some small amount by doing the kind of work you're talking about. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And the more we see we're not alone, I think the more resilience we build. And and like you say, when you're when you are so underrepresented and you are the only one um, that looks like you in a meeting in a team, um, you can feel like you bear the weight of your identity group on your shoulders. And one wrong move, you know, will throw it off. And I think there's a tough double standard there because the mistakes of folks that are underrepresented are under more scrutiny. Like that's a real thing that we have mm-hmm. to face. But at the same time, some of that is um, we're, we're putting on to ourselves and thinking, oh gosh, you know, if I mess up, people will think this. And I think the more we we build community and we and we build a strong network and we see that that other folks are going through this and feeling this way, I think the le- the more we can tease apart the moments where we're really having to prove ourselves again and where it's really our kind of inner narrative that that we leaves this because of all the other biases and double standards that are at play. Yeah, 100%. Well, let's talk about something that I know you're incredibly passionate about. And indeed, you've written a whole book about it, <laughs> which is reframing. So you talk about it as a concept that we need to apply to everything we do. I, I love this, by the way. When I first came across this, I was like, oh, you speak my language. How can we How can we work together? How can we do more? This is This is so amazing. So can you explain to me what is reframing? And then some examples of what we should be looking to reframe and how to apply it every day. Yes. So reframing is the act of shifting our perspective. And I always like to say, this does not mean looking on the bright side. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, that is, uh, that's something people tell us so that they don't have to like help us out. But um, I think reframing is really when we feel stuck it's often because we're looking at a situation in the same way, or we've tried a few things and nothing's worked. So we think, okay, this is it for me. And reframing means to ask ourselves, how else can I look at this? Okay, maybe there's more, you know, it's not all bright side. <laughs> it could be the, what's the opposite thing that could be true? What What's possible here? Maybe even, hopefully even, bring in empathy. What might be going on with the other person? right in the situation what might what mm. else might i not know in the situation right you get passed up for a job or promotion what else might what other factors might be at play right so we ask ourselves these really generative kinds of questions we see that there's more perspectives available than the current one we're sitting in and when we do that we see okay even when i feel stuck I got a hard piece of feedback and I'm feeling like nothing's ever good enough. Um, I can pause and say, okay, what else might be true? And when I ask that, I say, okay, this feedback is really about that other person's preferences. It's not actually a lot about me, right? Or we say, okay, I got passed up for this promotion. What else might be going on? 
Wow, there were some other candidates that had this one type of, you know, skill that was really necessary for where the product strategy was going. And and we can start to make it less about ourselves and our self-worth and our value and more just about recognizing, hey, you know, these are the things that are happening and and it's not because we <laughs> of us and who we are and, and inherent flaws. It's just, we can look at it objectively. So that's what reframing allows us to do. And in, in, in the book Unstuck, I talk about it across 12 different dimensions, including feedback, like I mentioned, um, including talking about our impact, comparison, negotiation, these things that can we can feel so, so stuck around because we've been socialized to believe all of these things, right? Like good work gets noticed. Um, just keep your head down. Don't ask for too much. Um, we already talked about hypervigilance around mistakes. And, and so it can, the perspective can sometimes already be built for us. So we really have to push against it and, and, and actually create more possibilities for ourselves. That's so true and such an important thing to look at. I particularly love your point there of like looking through the lens of empathy. I think a lot of the things that upset and irritate us, frustrate us, actually, if you can look at it through their lens with empathy on it, you can get yourself in their shoes. Now, it doesn't justify their behavior, but perhaps you can calm your own emotions. Yeah. And as soon as we can do that, we step away from frustration, anger, shame, any emotion that is negative clouds our ability to rationalize yeah. and so yes there may well still be a valid objection to what this person has just done or said but while you are in this negative space you aren't going to solve the problem as quickly would you say that's valid absolutely i mean i love what you're talking about brings up this concept of that there can be multiple truths present and this is so foundational yes. in reframing and in right, you know, organizational behavior, so sociology, whatever, because you know we can both disagree with someone um, and still have respect for them, right? Someone can give us, mm -hmm. you know, feedback that we need to improve something and still think we're kicking butt at our work, right? They're not mutually exclusive, and I think what you call yes. out is is so important for building resilience um, and and for feeling like we can we can move forward even when we encounter setbacks. Because if we look at it as an all or nothing, pretty quickly we get thrown off our course because stuff is going to come up. But we can say, okay, this happened and I can still do this, right? It's a yes and instead of a no but situation. So good. Okay, let's talk about ourselves for a minute. I know this is a topic that we, again, both care deeply about how we talk about our work in a meaningful way that helps us get traction, right? You've already talked about that a little bit, how you did that. What does it mean to provide that meaningful insight into our contributions? And what can we do to achieve that? Yeah, I, I love this topic, as you say. I, I mean, I think <laughs> this is one of the things that where we can really get in our own way um, of not really thinking about, you know, how am I going to, you know, shape the narrative of my work? And I do a ton of coaching and mentoring around this, um, whether it's from preparing for a job interview or career pivot, or even, you know, doing a performance review is, you know, our, the other person in that situation, whether it's our manager or a hiring manager or recruiter, they already know what the job description is, right? They already, so when we repeat that back as a form of like, here's why I'm, you know, ready for this thing, it's like we didn't add any value there. And so our job is really to shape the narrative of what we do 
and why it matters and how that impacts the organizations, the goals of it, the the priorities, right, everything there. Um, that narrative arc shows, you know, what is our unique contribution we're making? What is our impact? It's our opportunity to showcase our superpowers, accomplishments we've made. Um, and, and that's really on our on us, right? We are the, the best equipped person to do that, because we know what we're bringing to the table. And so, you know, it's, it's not just saying the what, it's also the so what. And I think this is something that can be really hard when we've heard, don't brag, don't talk about your work, don't show off. And we think, oh, like, I don't really want to, you know, rub anyone the wrong way or come off like I think I'm the greatest gift to earth. And so we then totally downplay it. And we wonder why nobody notices the awesome stuff that we did. So, mm. you know, the, the shift there is really thinking, okay, you know, what are my skills and strengths and superpowers? What are some examples of where I've been able to really showcase those? Um, and then how has that, how does that fit to, you know, the strategic priorities and goals of this organization? And when we talk about our work in that way, it doesn't come across as bragging or showing off. It's like, oh, wow, that person did some really important stuff in this team, or that person can do some really important things in this role. Um, and, and so it's a shift there. And again, it's telling a story. It's not making up a story. It's really using <laughs> actual things that have happened. Yes. But the narrative is something we need to own and we need to be communicating. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I often say to people, like, if you're uncomfortable about you know, telling the story. Let's get the facts. Yeah. I mean, the facts are going to speak louder than anything else. And the number of women I've worked with when we've teased apart like what they've achieved in their career and you actually get the numbers, the dollars, the size of the teams, the impact they've created, the number of people they've reached. I mean, the results are phenomenal, but they're not using them anywhere. They're not using them in how they speak, in their bios, how they introduce themselves, on their LinkedIn, in their resume, in their interviews. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yes. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> we need to get super comfortable finding these facts and then talking about them, right? Exactly. And I mean, as you say, it sounds like this is what you've done in, in your work is when you ask someone to talk about it in a really safe space, right? Either through a coaching conversation or mm -hmm. as a friend, um, you right away see like, oh my gosh, like this is the real meat of it. And so something I, I encourage folks to do is when you're struggling with the wordsmithing, with writing, you know, how do I describe this on a resume or in a performance review or in an email, actually just, you know, say it out loud like you would say it to mm -hmm. a friend without a filter, right? Because that's where you think, oh, wait, wait a second. Here's what the person was really excited about because that was where the impact happened. And when we practice talking about it without a filter, we realize we didn't really need the filter at all because it, it was actually taking away the impactful points. So um, yeah. it's so true. I mean, th thinking about, you know, there's so much more that I think we we aren't acknowledging that that we've been able to do making contributions because we're feeling like it was a team effort or I, you know, I don't want to take credit. And got to say, like, a lot of times the situation, especially with, you know, career progression it is about you, you personally, you individually, mm. what did you do? And you can talk about yeah. this in a collaborative way um, without diminishing your individual contribution, right? You can say, I was a part of this awesome team composed of XYZ team members, and my role was this, and I was so excited to be able to land XYZ thing, right? It's like, you can still give the shared credit. You can do all those things that maybe might feel more comfortable and appropriate um, while still showing through how you individually made a difference. 
Oh, 100%. Okay, we have to make sure that we get on to a very specific topic today before we wrap up, because I'm like, oh, I have to get onto this one. Let's talk about human-centered leadership. I know, again, like we, we're touching lots of disparate topics, but they are all related yes. if you listen closely. Um, and so I want to make sure we dig into this one before we move on to the quick fire round. Because I know that you are passionate about human-centered leadership, which I would call people-centered leadership, yeah. same thing in my world, to really help your team break through to that next level. And we have, you know, by definition of this podcast, we have a lot of leaders listening. So I'd love for you to share what are your top tips as an extraordinary leader in your own right, not just a coach, but what are your top tips for leaders helping to improve overall team performance? So my top, top tip is reframing our relationship with accountability. And the concept of accountability, I would say it has a bad reputation, right? We, we often yeah. think of it as blame or punishment or tops down micromanaging. And so as a leader, it can be difficult to hold team members accountable, to talk about accountable, to even say the word accountability without people going, oh, what's their deal, mm -hmm. right? And so my, my tip here is reframing accountability as ownership, and, and, and operationalizing that by setting clear expectations across everything, expectations around how to get things done, how to talk about risks and trade-offs, how to talk about priority shifts, most importantly, how to talk about what success looks like. When we reframe accountability as ownership and set clear expectations, people approach work completely differently. Right, people aren't renting a spot on the team, right? Where the manager is essentially make calling the shots, but they come proactively solving problems. Right? They work through details before they surface, "Hey, you know, here's what's going on. I've tried this. I'm thinking about this. What do you think?" Right? And not only does this take a ton, ton of pressure off the middle management layer, which is really squeezed right now with all the change going on in the workforce, but it empowers us. It makes us feel like leaders, right? We're owners of our own roles, of our careers, of our futures. And, and again, I think this is where you see the most effectiveness happening in an organization because, you know, I think the, the unreframed view of accountability would think it means get this done or else. It's only win or lose. It's, you know, success or fail. But that's not the reframe, right? Account the reframe of accountability is, hey, we know stuff's going to go wrong. We need to make sure we're all accountable to how we talk about, again, risks and trade-offs, prioritization shifts. And when we have that conversation, we start to see more psychological safety. Because now, if psychological safety is really the comfort in taking risks, making mistakes, you know, without that being held against me, now I know exactly what forums exist to escalate those concerns. I know where I can bring that up. I know what, you know, okay, we've all talked about what success looks like. I see my future here on the team. So, I mean, this is what I've found across, you know, a decade working in tech with, with folks from all levels of the organization to be the single most important thing. And, and one of the biggest gaps, to be honest, um, you know, as, a, as working in team operations and program management, you see the gaps really clearly <laughs> when they're there across what's not getting done. And I've, I've truly never seen something more prevalent of the, like major holes and just talking about these things and having everybody had a shared understanding of it. Mm, I love that so much. One of the things I talk about as a coach, in fact, is teaching self-accountability, mm -hmm. what is reframing towards ownership. Because, you know, there's a historical focus with coaching, like part of our job as coaches is to hold you accountable. And I actually really hate that as an executive and leadership coach. I'm like, I have to help you learn how to hold yourself accountable. Me holding you accountable isn't going to elevate yes. you as a leader. 
And I think if we can embrace that as leaders, teach ourselves that self-accountability, even if you have to work with a coach to get there, by the way, if you want to work with a coach, make sure you ask the question about how they're going to do the accountability mm-hmm. piece. <laughs> as I say, as a leader, you want you want self-accountability. You don't want a coach who's just going to be like your accountability partner because that isn't going to elevate you as a leader. And I think if we can do that ourselves for ourselves, what if we could do that for our entire workforce? Something miraculous happens when that happens, right? Exactly. Exactly, right? And, and, and so many people right now are questioning, you know, do I want to do this work? What's my purpose? Why am I here? And when when it is tops down or it feels like someone's kind of checking on you, that is disempowering. I think the, the shift there is when we feel like owners – it, it doesn't create more stress. It actually creates less stress. It actually takes some pressure off because yeah. we're able to really mm-hmm. step up. And so I think um, I think there can be some hesitation sometimes in organizations to, to give over that ownership and say, hey, how would you solve this problem? What do you think we should do? Um, especially if there's a really specific way that you want it to get done. But, you know, just listening and creating space for that to be in the conversation Maybe someone says, I think we should approach it this way. And then you have a conversation with them and say, hey, there's some elements of that that I think will work. Here's a couple factors that maybe you weren't aware of. How can we blend these approaches, right? Or how can you have a piece of that way that you mm. want to approach it? So um, people don't feel like they're just following you know, an instruction manual or a recipe to do their jobs. That starts to be really demoralizing. And I think we're seeing that just in, in all the conversation around the great resignation, a huge, huge thing that's come up is people feeling like you know, a lack of purpose or a lack of connection to the work. And that being more important than ever, so we we can actually create that for people by by treating them as owners and and having them have a real stake in the work. Oh, I love that so much. Oh, so good. Let's move on to the quick fire round. You up for a quick fire round? Yeah. <laughs> this is my all time favorite question to ask. But what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, I'm like, where do I start? No, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, early early in my career, I was I was applying for temporals, and, and so I was working with a temp temporary agency, um, job placement agency, and the recruiter I was at, working with um, asked me to remove some of my experience from my resume to make it a better fit for some of the roles that she was going after. And, eh, you know, (laughs) that right away is really (laughs) worrisome, right? We don't want to, quote unquote, dumb ourselves down to fit some box. Um, I think even, you know, there's there may be moments when we want to really tailor to fit some kind of role because Mm -hmm. we need it right away. And I want to want to acknowledge that. But the risk there is that we set ourselves on a career trajectory that isn't true to ourselves and doesn't fully utilize the skills and experience we could bring. And so... um, you know, when I, when she was saying to, to, to change it in this direction, what's happening was I was only getting roles that fit this one type of thing she saw for me. But I asked, hey, you know, mm. I want to go forward with this version of the resume. And I ended up finding a job that was the, the hiring manager actually saw, hey, there's some other stuff in here besides what this temp agency is wanting. And it set up my whole trajectory that I ended up having in tech, literally, because I said, you know, I want to do more than this one thing I've already done. You know, I want to do this other stuff. So I think that was that was not the greatest advice, I will say that, to <laughs> just kind of filter my own accomplishments. And you've already heard us talk about this right <laughs> now for the last yeah. time. Yeah. 
It, it's it's fascinating to me this one. I mean, we're supposed to be on a quick fire round, but hey, it's a good topic. Um, because actually, I do tell people to remove stuff from their resumes and their LinkedIn profiles, but because it's complete, they don't want to do that job anymore. And I think that's yeah. something really important to recognize. If you don't want that kind of role, especially your resume, if you're going for a senior leadership position, you've got too much information to put in your resume. Yeah. Right? Somebody is, most people are not going to read past the first page. Get rid of it. I know people who will throw away resumes that are more than two pages long, right? Yeah. <laughs> but what you have to do is make sure you tick as many of the boxes as possible for the kind of role you want, even if it's not the role that you're applying for, for precisely the reason you said. Exactly. That you want somebody who's hiring for you for all the things you're excited to do. So remove the stuff you're not excited to do because it's irrelevant history. Other than it's got some stuff in there that might boost you, in which case maybe keep it in, but make sure you don't land a role that requires you to do that anymore. <laughs> it's a delicate balance. It's a nuance. I, it's so true. I would say the the bad advice part of it, as you say, was having someone else decide what roles I should go after, right? Yes, and them filter yes. it, right? And and they were essentially the owner of that path. So like, I, I think bringing in this accountability theme, um, it's, you know, you should do always be doing curation, absolutely. And it's thinking about the future, right? And what you want to go after. Oh, I love it. I, that's why I love that question so much. I think it can tell us so much about how we can do things better. Okay, the alternate to this question, of course, is what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? So this was, this has been a journey for me, but um, the best piece of advice that I continue to work on uh, developing is giving feedback directly, Right. Not going around mm. like when when something happens, someone says something to you in a meeting that didn't sit right or an email or something happens to not, you know, you know, to tell your manager and have them work it out for you or kind of go around it. But to have a conversation with that person and say, hey, you know, this thing happened and this didn't sit right for me for this reason. And feedback is a beast. I mean, I talk about this so much in, in my work because it is so hard, but it gets harder when we dance around talking about things directly. So I think the best piece of advice, uh, I had a manager that um, she would sit there and practice me like, okay, say this directly, now turn it up two notches. And then I would say it again, <laughs> now turn it up. <laughs> because we also, it's not even about going around someone, we can say it in a really passive way, like, hey, I was just thinking maybe this thing could be different. And the other person's like, what What are you talking about? Did something happen or not? So mm. you know, how do we say things directly, say what we mean, still bringing in empathy, still bringing in connection. Um, but we can do that by, you know, bringing in a feedback framework, being really specific, you know, giving, you know, I think situation behavior impacts the feedback framework I love. When did this happen? What happened? And, what, you know, what was the impact of it? That's how we bring directness into the conversation. And and I think it can take a little bit of the pressure off if we feel like we have some belief, which I do, that being direct is mean or, well, people won't like you and all of this. So that was that was a really helpful piece of advice. Be more direct. We can't do that enough, I think. It doesn't mean that we are assholes. Yeah. It just means that we can lovingly be direct. Exactly. Uh, what is the last book you read and would you recommend it? Yeah, I think the the last book I read and uh, always do audiobooks with with her is uh, Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And first, I would say so. Absolutely recommend it. I recommend all her books. Um, 
you know, I think we've talked a lot, a lot about language and she gives a real precision around talking about emotions, which um, is really important as we're working to build more connections across the workplace, to feel more understood. And she talks through, I think, like 280 or something number of emotions. We might have thought there was only five or six, but, you know, really nuanced things, the difference between jealousy and envy, right? Um, things that we, we maybe think uh, emotions that we feel like are really similar, sympathy, empathy, compassion, right? And and really teasing them apart so that we we just have more of a way to be, again, precise, direct, and, and mean what we say. And um, and yeah, I mean, anything Brene Brown reads out loud, you feel like you're sitting there with her <laughs> in her living room as she's telling you a story. So fantastic book. Oh, I've not read that one. I will, well, I'll listen to it. Yeah. I'll have to go and get that one. <laughs> Um, let's talk mindset. At the end of every episode, I love to give a mindset tip to help us adjust how we act or think. Um, I would love for you to give your favorite mindset tip to help the leaders listening to this show today. Yeah. So, you know, reframing. Okay. So this is the mindset shift that that I want to share with everyone, right? Because like you said, in the start of our conversation, you can really apply it to any situation you're in. And again, this shift of when we feel stuck, asking ourselves, what else can I try? What else is possible? What else might be going on? This unlocks so many possibilities, right? This is allows us to tap into that growth mindset, seeing that there's more to the story. And, and it really, anytime we get stuck, it's about asking that question, you know, what else is here? Oh, such an important thing to remember. Like there is always another way of looking at something yeah. every single time. And we always live blinkered lives. And while we're living a blinkered life, we're shutting ourselves off to opportunities to just pause and reframe. I always say notice, pause, reframe. Three steps. Notice, pause, reframe. Exactly. Like every time. Um, how can people find out more about you? How can we find your book? This is such a powerful conversation. I want everybody to connect with you and <laughs> everybody to buy your book. Yes. Um, so you can find me on my website at leahgarvin.com. Um, you can read more about my consulting work, coaching workshops, and pick up a copy of my book there. It's also available on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble's Target book is called Unstuck. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, shoot me uh, a connection request or a message. Let me know how you thought about this conversation. Um, reach out on Instagram at leah.garvin. And then I also have a YouTube channel called Reframe with Leah, where I talk about a lot of these different vignettes around these topics, talking about your work, career pivots, things like that in real short videos where I just share some tips and tricks. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Have you any final thoughts you'd like to share with us today before we wrap up? Yeah, I think, you know, Part of this mindset shift around reframing, it's really, you know, whenever you encounter a setback, a failure, get stuck, to remember it's not about you, it's about your approach. And when you change your approach, you will change your outcome. So, so true. Thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your words of wisdom. This has been a wonderful interview. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been awesome. And remember, listeners, whatever you take away from today's conversation with Leah, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.